everybody, and welcome to the 360th episode of MTG Fast Finance, the podcast that's all oiled up and ready to get toxic. MTG Fast Finance is your weekly podcast covering the world of Magic the Gathering finance, collection management, and speculation. I am your host, James Chilcott, aka at MTG Critic on Twitter. My co-host is Cliff Daigle, at Word of Commander on Twitter. Welcome back, buddy, and we are here to help you folks make and save money playing our favorite game, Magic the Gathering. Hello again, James. It's almost like I never left. Uh, happy to be back. And uh, as always, I'm looking forward to diving into a bunch of developments with everybody. Uh, before we jump in, though, I want to remind listeners that this show is produced by mtgprice.com, the leading MTG finance community. Sign up today at mtgprice.com to plan your specs, chat on Discord, and read articles by some of the best financial minds in the hobby. MDG Fast Finance is proudly sponsored by Cool Stuff Inc., where you can find all sorts of cool nerdy stuff in stock, including all the best in Magic the Gathering singles, sealed product, and a plethora of other collectibles. Use the promo code FINANCE5, that's the number 5, during checkout at CoolStuffInc.com. Save 5% off your order and support this podcast. Cliff, good buddy, welcome back to the podcast. I uh, hope everything is well on your end. Uh, you know, some attempted flooding, some uh, travel shenanigans... Uh, my daughter's learning how to crochet, and I have learned about uh, chains and stitches and stuff. So, uh, you know, it's it's an adventure, man. It's an adventure. Fantastic. Uh, so what do we have on the agenda this week, my friend? We've got four segments coming up. We're going to kick it off with segment one, the Metagame Week in Review on Magic Online. After that, we're going to move on to segment two, Top Movers of the Week, both online and in paper. We're going to go on to segment three, the cards to watch. You and I have some picks to discuss. And then finally, we're going to get to, uh, was it the last batch today? Or are we still getting a, a trickle of things? I think we, we got a couple new mythics, some more new f- cards in the last week or so. It feels like there has to be some stuff still left, but we got to be getting real close here. They, they've given us most of the mythics as far as I can tell. Yeah, the rares got uh, kind of revealed ahead of time. And mm-hmm. so there's a lot going on. I got yet another math article I get to write, man, and now we've got like 43 variations to go. I, I just can't <laughs> wait. My excitement, it knows no bounds. You you are the un, undisputable stats master, though, for collector boosters, so that is a good archive we're building up for with access for the pro traders. Uh, make sure everybody's comparing apples to apples, since rarity is not quite what it used to be. Kicking things off here, we'll jump into the metagame week in review. We've got a modern challenge from this past Saturday, as well as the God of Modern Japan uh, based tournament in paper from last Friday, I believe it was. The modern challenge was mostly straightforward. We have Blue Red Murktide in first, Four Color Omnath in third, Blue Red Murktide again in fourth, Hardened Scales making a relatively rare top eight appearance in sixth, Shardless Footfalls in seventh, and Yogmoth Combo in eighth. All more or less usual suspects. However, in second and fifth, we have a fairly sexy deck for a number of reasons. I'm going to call this Ragablast, since I haven't heard a better uh, moniker tabled for it yet. And this is a low-slung mono-red deck that uh, relies on most of the usual aggro threats in, threats in the form, format. Ragavan, Dragon's Rage Channeler, and puts alongside it uh, Experimental Synthesizer, I believe, and Mishra's Work Desk, I think, was in there, along with four Shrapnel Blast and four Galvanic Blast. So it looks a lot like the blue-red fringe blast decks of days past, but just a much more streamlined, low-slung alternative. I mean, it's a beautiful thing when we can see Voldar and Epicure doing really well in modern, you know what I mean? It's... uh. Like, you get the free artifact so you can toss your Shrapnel Blast at the end, and after you throw a Galvanic Blast, I mean, this deck, this deck needs some uh, some Fire Blasting, and then you can just call it, like, Triple Blast or something fun like that. But these lands are also a thing of beauty. Uh, this deck I'm looking at doesn't have the, the uh, Mishra's Desk. Does the other deck have? No, this one just has Bobble and Synthesizer, but that is spicy if you can synthesizer get your free card or even better synthesizer and flip over a galvanic blast that's just 
Hot, hot value. I love everything about this. Four Bomat Cur- Courier, four Voldaran Epicure alongside the DRCs and the Ragavans, four Lightning Bolt. They've got three Den of the Bugbear and Ur- four Urza Saga and a sh- uh, Sokans and Crucible of Defiance to create extra threats. They got two light up the stage to generate additional card draw on top of the synthesizer and the research desk. The Mishra's Baubles really shrinks the deck to a very consistent shell. And clearly the reason you would choose to play this over Classic Burn is that the Shrapnel Blast dealing five instead of the usual three uh, might potentially get you to the end goal faster. The only thing that I'm I'm surprised at, and maybe this is the next iteration of the deck, is uh, figuring out how to add some of the new, um, what's its face, or the indestructible artifact lands. They come into play tapped, and that's a really big drawback. But, you know, getting some artifact lands on these uh, would probably put it, like, over the ridiculous top. I'm honestly surprised there aren't a, a couple of sneak-it-in-there um, Darksteel Citadels or Treasure Vault. Treasure Vault might be the thing, too. Yeah, it, fe- it feels like one of those might be worthwhile. Um, so moving on to the paper tournament in Japan, God of Modern. Starts off with some, you know, relatively straightforward spice. Grixis Death Shadow, this is a deck we've seen a bunch. It's kind of faded out of uh, the meta for Modern for most of 2022 and into 2023. But the extra spice here is the addition of three Underworld Breach, a card that has just been advancing and advancing and advancing. It's now in at least three or four different shells that are that are top eighting. Um, we've got the the uh, Grinding Station build. We've got the Jeskai uh, build that leans on Teferi Time Raveler to drive it home. We've got uh, Prowess builds that are running it. And we've got this version of Grixis Death Shadow that's now finding reason to run it. And this is continues to amaze me that this card that was called as being quite excellent up front as the uh, the inheritor of the Ogmoth's Will Legacy was then kind of put to the side and now is being explored anew and, and ending up all over the place. And I called this back in October to go 12 to 24. And as of today, TCG Market sitting at about 23. So we're almost dead on schedule to get that done inside six months, and I wouldn't be surprised at all if the the card pushes thirty dollars plus if it doesn't catch a secret layer reprint this year. Well, you know, forgive me for not being up to date on modern, but this like Underworld Breach was viewed as like a heavy combo card, right? And this is just being done for value. It's just just in the last two months has become you know uh, Derek and I have been tracking it. Started showing up in this uh, grinding station brew that Aspiring Spike right. was running on stream a lot, and then people started top aiding with it, and then they got rid of the grinding station, moved into a value version that started doing well, and now you're just seeing Breach ex- experimented with in any low-slung deck that happens to run red as they realize that this might just be the way to go over the top in a bunch of different scenarios, because in the same way that you can you know, use Breach to cast a Shrapnel Blast or a Lightning Bolt. You can also use it to put a Death Shadow back into play and present a very dangerous threat in the late game. Well, it, it just seems like if you thought Lurus was good, uh, you'll like Breach too, as long as you've managed to fill up your graveyard effectively. Yeah, it has it has many of the same uh, play patterns in terms of mid to late game, get, extending your reach in a low slung deck to give you access to additional threats and and allow you to to claim the, the trophy. Now, this next one is a hammer time build. It's pretty straightforward, except instead of splashing blue, they're splashing black, and they're splashing black to put a blade of the oni in here. Um, alongside the, the usual suspects. And they also have two Tide Hollow Sculler in the main, three Thought Seas, and over in the sideboard, they have a Nihil Spell Bomb that makes use of black, and a Dismember that could potentially be cast with black. Uh, I think it's the first time I can recall seeing a black-white version of this build, but not particularly surprised to see Spice coming out of Japan. Yeah, there's all, all kinds of great spicy things. Like you got Urza's Saga finding a fun of rabbit battery to make sure that the creature has haste, not just the equipping, you know, so or just the creature itself. Just like there, you'll find like one Arid Mesa and then there's almost nothing that can cast it directly. Am I just blind? 
Uh, let's see. Mesa can't, concealed can't, godless, hollowed fountain. That's blue. Yeah, they don't have a single thing that makes red mana, but they've got the rabbit battery. Love it. <laughs> I love it when they do this in modern. So Nothing makes me happy. In third place in this tournament, we have a four-color Omnath brew. I mean, four-color Omnath isn't the brew part. The brew part is that they stuffed four Sahili Rai and four Felidar Guardian in here. So they've got the copycat combo uh, in alongside the rest of this. Just to give them multiple angles of attack. They can be a value deck. They can be a combo deck. You've got to make sure you can fight them on both of those axes. And if you don't, then they're going to win, which they did convincingly here, making top four. Finishing off this top eight, we've got Merfolk, another blue-red breach deck, which is now uh, the more typical version that we see uh, on the value side of that equation. Creativity combo in sixth, Hammer Time, uh, blue-white Hammer Time in seventh, with two Haywire Might in the main, notably, and then Living End in eighth. It's a good. Uh, it's a good batch. We haven't had. It's been a while since our last batch of bannings in modern, hasn't it? And, and honestly, I, I think we're millions of miles from needing anything banned this is this is just the healthiest i've ever seen modern yep we're in a a good place and if modern gets healthy then that that opens it up for pioneer to be good and all sorts of things to be wonderful as you know uh everything starts coming back moving right along to top paper movers of the week we've got a, a fairly straightforward bunch of artifact and uh one reveal driven uh, hype spikes. Darksteel Forge continues its march upward alongside all the artifact decks in EDH, going 38 to 50, the Darksteel version up 32%. We've got Grinding Station, which is still being played in some of those Breach uh, brews in Modern, going 30 to 44, that's the Fifth Dawn version up 47%. We've got the Mystic, Mystic Forge schematics out of the uh, Brothers War collector boosters, going 7 to 11, 58% gains. And Blast Furnace Hellkite Extended Arts out of the uh, Brothers War Commander deck, but the EAs are only found in Collector Boosters. Those went 2 to 4, up 100%. That card has solid EDH EDH rec numbers, but it's not crazy numbers. It's not an S-tier staple, and it's almost everything on this list this week feels targeted by vendors and speculators to me. Doesn't seem like there's a lot of natural growth uh, to be found here. Uh, likewise, Fate Unraveler foils out of Born of the Gods went 9 to 25. Now, that's an untested plateau for sure, uh, presumably targeted because Shieldred puts this in 70% of decks, but Shieldred is not actually in the top 20 commanders being built right now, despite having 3,000 decks built since her release. So, though I believe that Shieldred will continue to be a very popular card in multiple formats, I'm not convinced that she's a commander worth going after niche foils like this. Doesn't mean you're not going to be able to un- unload a Fate ra- Unraveler profitably, but I wouldn't want to be very deep on it. I mean, if you've got it, you should sell it. Uh, I wrote about it back in uh, August when Shieldred was previewed, and uh, I remember I'm looking at the the thing I wrote, and it hadn't had a foil since Born of the Gods, and people had already bought up a ton at that point. So this feels like um, the ones who did speculate early cashing in because people uh, as we're going to see uh when you get a commander if you can get another effect that tacks on what the commander does people love that you know it's like playing underworld dreams in your nekusar deck if you were doing that back in the day if doing it once is good doing it twice is even better yeah so all the rest of this seems to be on the back of the new mirror lord that was revealed all sorts of mirror related cards uh, on the move, we've got Mirror Galvanizer foils from Scars uh, of Mirrodin, 3 to 15. We've got Mirror Turbine regulars up 3 to 14. We've got Mirror Matrixes up 3 to 20. I certainly posted any copies I could find in my binders uh, of both of those two cards, hoping to cash in on this brief hype spike. Mirror Sire foils out of Mirrodin Besiege, 2 to 18, and all of these are untested plateaus that I think are very likely to retrace. I don't actually believe that this Mirror Lord is going to be that big a deal, but there is an argument to be made that this card could be a pretty decent five-color commander because it 
reads that whenever you cast a mirror spell, create a 1-1 colorless mirror artifact creature. At the beginning of combat on your turn, untap each mirror you control. And then for for Wooberg and a tap, put 3 plus 1 plus 1 counters on each mirror you control. Activate only during your turn. So if people have built changeling builds with Morophon, they may consider switching to Urtet Remains of Memnarch. Sure. Um, I don't think you need to to overthink like the long-term mirror goodness um i would just say that this is any other spike that you should feel great about selling into uh i certainly uh clearly need to go check my bulk rare box and see what kind of uh these cards anything that's a rare from oh my goodness without looking can i remember what year mirrodin dark steel fifth dawn was october 2003 was mirrodin's original thank you um, so we're talking, you know, literally 20-year-old cards. <laughs> yep. and, and nobody has bothered to reprint these. So the supply is tiny. And the only resupply that's going to come on TCG Player is folks who were playing 20 years ago, still have the cards, and can bother to uh, relist them. So if you've got them, throw them on TCG right now. Put it at 20% under. You know, if you've got mere matrixes and non-foil... Uh, instead of seventeen, put them up there for fourteen or fifteen dollars and yep. get your money. Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, mirror matrix regulars are probably sellable at fifteen. Foils are going to be tens of dollars. Um, you know, anywhere from thirty to sixty to ninety, depending on who's fool and foolish enough to pull the trigger and and it's the excited. I don't think it's foolishness. It's just people say like, "Ooh, this is an obscure tribe thing," and. This is what uh, a lot of commander players love to do. We're, we've seen how many monkeys and apes go nuts lately. Go bananas. Yeah, lately. but I, but I think a lot of those uh-huh. are retracing as well. The yes, the, they're going. You to. know, when we get to a vampire set like Anastrad or something, and van- some key vampire spike that I can buy into because it's one of the top five tribes in EDH. But when mirrors and monkeys spike, that's get in, get out as fast as you can, and hopefully there's a greater fool because I just don't believe that in, until. Uh, the monkey commander or shieldred or the mirror commander shows up in the top 10 on EDH rack. It's not real. It's, you know, it's, it's hype driven. And that doesn't mean you won't find a buyer, but again, if you're holding 30 copies of one of these things, you're probably not going to get a chance to get out at these plateaus. Yeah. So I would, I would agree with that. If you've got a a giant stack, then uh, do what you can to cash in the ones that you can. I think Shouldered will have legs, but I, I agree with you that the others are a, a real flash in the pan. I think Shouldered has legs as a card. I think as a commander, she's medium. Like, she's because she limits you to black, and there's so many decks that w- want to run her in multiple colors. Uh, moving on over to top Magic Online movers of the week, Valiant. Almost all of this is standard driven spikes. Uh, Valiant Veteran out of Dominaria United, 50 cents to 0.75 ticks. Uh, 0.5 ticks to 0.75 ticks, 50% gains from blue, white soldiers in standard. Mishra's Foundry is in four or five different builds in standard right now. Uh, very flexible creature land that can attack uh, in a pinch. Uh, going from 0.23 ticks to 0.44 for 91% gains. And then Rite of Harmony, uh, one of these specs that almost nobody probably actually made money on because it was too cheap to even consider up front. 0.03 ticks to 0.14, 367% gains on the back of a green-white enchantments deck in standard that runs three or four copies. So if blue-white soldiers is good now, do you think they're going to give us more? Do you think they've already given us everything they're going to give us? Hard to say, but I'm I'm so off standard specs for in paper. <laughs> and haven't touched and haven't touched magic online for a while that yeah you know it will be kind of largely irrelevant to my day-to-day that's that's a fair point i don't want to mess around with standard either i'm just always curious because they give us just these previews of how things could be with a soldier lord and a land that's so sculpted for it like there's got to be more coming right but we'll find out the fun way i mean soldiers is, is a generic enough tribe that you're likely going to see it all the way through the year in, in a variety of circumstances, yeah. like the the Lord of the Rings set will have some soldiers, the uh, March of the Machines will probably have some soldiers, and uh, I would imagine when we get back to Ixalan, there'll probably be some soldiers as well. Cards to watch, segment three. Uh, I'm going to go off the top here with Mox Amber Retros, not foils, just retros, not schematics either. Looking at them side by side, I think the retros are a better looking card 
and the schematics are kind of hard to, to find on TCG Player. If you look at the price motion for both of these, they started really high, and by early December they had kind of plateaued, and they've been drifting slowly down since. Currently market on the non-foils is 24 or so. I'm setting a target price here of about 20. I think then I, I would start to be comfortable taking some nibbles and seeing if it continues to move in one direction or the other. Still a, plenty of inventory, 124 listings. Nobody has like, not nobody, there are very few major walls, but more of this product could be opened. Uh, I don't think Mox Amber is going to get double tapped this year, but Secret Layer is always a risk. That said, it is in tons and tons of decks and cubes and playable in both pioneer and modern so once this gets low enough i think you can start nibbling and, and figure out whether you want to continue or uh, take a look at some foils if they start to dry up a little faster 20 to 36 and 18 months is my goal with the retro non-foils so uh i'm not going to argue with this i think mox amber is a good buy and I have a, a pick from the exact same uh, subset of cards as well. I, I do want to say uh, what, what you, I want to repeat what you mentioned. And I'll probably say it a third time in a second. But um, I'm waiting for the right in. And it's been a couple months. We've, we've gotten to the next set. But uh, I'm ready to wait a little bit longer before diving in. And it really, uh, it impresses me that they have managed to create something that is of equal rarity the schematics and the the retro frames so like the the difference in art they're the same number of copies out there unless something else weird happens like they did with um the dominary remastered stuff so there's the same number out there but the schematics uh all for the most part are more expensive by a few dollars a few percent and it's just because we are trained to think that the alternate art is the more valuable one. So I like that you're going after the retro frame with the regular art because this is the one that's going to have the best uh, return for you on a long enough time frame. So this is a great pick. I'm, I'm a fan of this. And you're setting, you're, on your first one here, you're setting a future forward entry point as well, right? Yes. Okay, tell me about this one. Uh, I'm with you on schematic on uh, the the Brothers War retro cards. Um, funnily enough, the the code for that is BRR. So brr, I love it. Uh, I like Ashnod's Altar in the long term. There's one other. There's right now the only foil of Ashnod's Altar out there is the Eternal Masters foil, which is around forty bucks. This is a card that's in a hundred and sixty thousand commander decks online, and this is just the people who bothered to list it online. Uh, it enables all sorts of combo ridiculousness, and getting a retro frame foil, right now uh, it's currently $11. I think we'll be able to get in uh, in a couple months even cheaper, but if you wanted to start nibbling at copies now, I wouldn't stop you too hard as long as you felt okay about watching it go a little lower. It's just, if the only other foil is $40 and I can get this one for 10 or less, that seems like a steal to me. And I'm just going to have to be patient with it and hope that, you know, the secret layer curse doesn't strike on this. Yeah, I mean, the downward trend on these foils is even more pronounced than it is on Mox Amber, which has mostly leveled out. So I think that there is some more room to fall here. And I think, you know, 7 or $8 is probably a pretty solid entry. There are less listings uh, of these foils for sure than there are of the non-foil Mox Amber retros, 64 versus 120 or so, which is about what you would expect, foil versus non Um Given the S-tier status of the card for EDH purposes, it really is just a matter of time to find an entry point. This is a card, I think, it, that has a higher reprint potential than I think Mox Amber does, but not by a whole lot. And both of them can get double-tapped in 2023 via Secret Layer because they're putting them out so fast they need to find cards to include. Yep, especially cards that still carry a price. Uh, one of the things that has been safe so far, though, is Secret Layer special printings not any of them have been reprinted in the same form so i'm looking at the ulamog the ceaseless hunger that just came out the serial borderless flip cards specifically the foils uh they are currently at the 24 25 mark i think i'm looking to get in closer to 20 to 22 and then look for a double up over the course of 12 to 18 months 
Ulamog is in 28,000 decks on EDH Rec. It's a modern, modern and cube player as well. This version has fantastic, very unique double-sided art that may never get a reprint or much more likely will get a reprint in three to five years when they do Secret Layer Masters, which to me seems like an inevitability. That's an intrigue. Like, I've, we've mentioned this before, but um, I don't... So you think that um, we're going to get a Secret Layer of secret layer reprints i think they're going to do a master set in booster boxes of secret layer cards at some point so same art yep they've never promised that they wouldn't i thought that's what the whole thing was like once once it's gone it's gone no they've never made that promise that i ever recall seeing in print they just said Mm. there are drops coming out you can only get them from this but they didn't say we'll never print them again i wonder how many people like me think that they'll never be printed again I like I think they'll take some time with it, but it's inevitable that in a meeting somebody's going to say we could do this. Secret, and and eventually Secret masters you're right. And eventually there's going to be so many of them that are worth good money that it's just going to be obvious for them that they can do a master set and do some really weird wacky draft format. I think that it's inevitable that we will get like reprints uh, like we'll get another set of the Aldrazi or whatever. I'm just not sold that they'll do exactly the same art because we've had secret layers dip from uh, hit the same card multiple times. Like I think there's been two or three bitter blossoms by now, for example. See, I think they'll probably just put the planeswalker symbol bottom left and roll. Yeah, that's true. If they couldn't leave leave the reserve list alone, goes my logic, they certainly won't leave secret layer alone, which was never a problem. Another very good point. So, and yeah, they have they have the whole uh, example they've already set with using the planeswalker symbol to indicate like this is a reprint kind of a deal, and and the the whole list phenomenon. Yep. So yeah, all right. I see and, where you're going. You and it's also get it to booster packs. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. And I and I think that it also lets them say, hey, look, we didn't lock the vendors out of this. We're sending these boosters to LGSs, so they're going to get a chance to sell them. And we're doing it years later, like the first secret layers were three years ago. So by the time they get around to it and say two to three years from now, which seems about the right time frame, they'll be able to say, listen, a lot of this stuff is almost impossible to find. And we want more players to get their hands on them. And we want to share the wealth with the vendors. And it's going to be like <laughs> a pretty positive story. And they also, the collectors can't be too, con- con- you know, can't complain too hard because they've had their time in the sun. They've had a chance to get in right. and out of the cards and make money if they wanted to. If they were buying them for personal use, they've had years to play them in their commander decks and so forth. So, yeah. I mean, if they price it as a premium product, I think it's very doable. All right. That's good thinking. I like that. Your final selection? My last pick this week is uh, the Uncommon out of uh, Dominary United. The Relic of Legends. It's already in 18,000 decks on uh, EDH rec. And uh, being able to get the extra mana out of all the legends you have laying around just for the low, low price of instantly tapping them. In a lot of cases, you can do uh, really fun things like tap Amara to get yourself a free soldier. You don't have to wait for summoning sickness to wear off. Uh, right now, foils are available for around uh, 4 bucks here in the U.S., uh, I think in the next 12 to 18 months, the unless something unusual happens, like we get another, like they, they might put this in a secret layer, but uh, its pattern is already high enough that uh, I think that $10 is very achievable. If you've got connections overseas, you can get these for around 1.5 euro as well, and that's a, an even better uh, starting point. The, the big deck for this right now in EDH is Jota the Unifier. Because right. all the creatures are legends and you have a preponderance of said uh, legendary creatures. So I certainly run it in Jota and there is only the one version of it will get reprinted for sure uh, in non-foil probably multiple times in commander decks. I expect to see it in commander decks uh, going forward for a while, yes. And it could be a secret layer at any given point. Uh, Always it, the risk. Because there is no fancy version of it. So it could be made a priority anytime in the next couple of years. The, but Joda is still a top 10 commander, unlike the monkey and, and Shieldred. So the there are certainly plenty of decks that need it. 
racking up 18,000 decks on EDH rec in the first six months of release is not to be sneezed at. And yeah, it's going to take some time for these to drain out because they're only an uncommon, but if they dodge a reprint, they will eventually get there. Glad you agree with me. Alrighty. What's, uh, what's your favorite pick on the board? Um, Ulamog. I'm inclined to agree with you, but if Ashnod's Altar was already down to $8, I think I would be there. But I think that Ulamog, as the secret lair card, the supply is going to be low enough that we want to we wanna get some of that. I think Ulamog at 20 seems very safe. Mox Amber and Ashnod's Altar might have an easier time falling further because they're coming out of dumb, they're coming out of collector boosters that can be mass cracked, which is not really a potentiality for Ulamog. There yeah. is still more inventory of those drops to land and get cracked, but not nearly what there is for Brothers War CBs. Yep, I'm with you. Okay, uh, moving right along to our topic of the week we're going to go over some of these latest reveals all sorts of goodies uh very impressed with the mythics in this set they've done a pretty great job there's this whole cycle of the the domini i think that's the plural of dominus and there's one in each color we saw the white one last week and it was very very good indeed and we've seen most i think we've seen all the rest of them now we have tekuthal Inquiry Dominus, two double blue, three five flying. If you would proliferate, proliferate twice instead. And then you get to make it indestructible by removing three counters from among other artifacts, creatures, and planeswalkers you control and paying one uh, blue blue or one and four life or some mixture of. This is one of the easiest ones to ultimate because in the decks that would want to run it in EDH, one in four life can do can get that indestructible counter on Tekathel right away. I mean, for five mana, uh, if you've got three counters to spare, you're slapping down the three five with an indestructible counter on it. You know, it doesn't say that this has to be at sorcery speed. You just uh, throw it right down there. Uh, does this make the cut in your Super Friends deck? I'm inclined to say it would, but mm. I don't have a Super Friends deck. I don't think so because I don't have a proliferate sub theme. You have a Traxa. But, yeah, but I don't lean into that any any harder than is already there. Like, I you basically just include cards like Vorinclex and Doubling Season and so forth, so you get so you can have a decent chance of just getting Planeswalkers with double loyalty. And then usually, if they don't stop, shut that down immediately, that can lead to a win. However, okay. I'm more interested in this other one, the other mythic along those lines, which is Ickermoon Gauntlet. It's an artifact for two and a blue. Planeswalkers you control gain uh, two loyalty abilities. One, zero, proliferate. And then minus 12, take an extra turn after this one. <laughs> and then it's got additional text. Whenever you cast an on-creature spell, which Planeswalkers just happen to be, choose a counter on target permanent, put an additional counter of that kind on that permanent. So this one makes the cut in Super Friends because of the ability to let... Say you have three Planeswalkers and you drop this. On that turn, they all proliferate and they all get three counters. And then if you've got a Propaganda right. or a Ghostly Prison or something to defend and they don't have a wipe for Planeswalkers, which is probably the rarest wipe in the game, they're in trouble. Because unless the board's very aggro at that at that moment and you don't have defenses up, they're not going to be able to take down all those Planeswalkers and one of them might end up ultimating in the very near future. So this is this is a yeah. very good, very flexible card that is going to get better over time as it gets more Planeswalkers to play with. And people have been showing off three and four card combos um, with some of these these new Atraxa specific cards, and it it really does look like they were they were throwing Super Friends a bone here. Yeah, because Super Friends needs the help. <laughs> it really doesn't. The other mythic they showed off today is the. Phyrexian Obliterator in white. Oh, no. Uh, Phyrexian Champion for quad white. It's a Phyrexian Horror with flying. It's 5-5. If damage would be dealt to it, prevent that damage. When damage is prevented this way, it deals that much damage to any other target. Discord members were discussing this and thinking, you know, this probably isn't as good as Obliterator because you get to... No, it is not. You get to deal damage to one target. And yes, there are a bunch of combos with red uh, mass damage spells. 
where sure. you know deal 20 to this and it deals 20 to somebody and knocks them out of the game uh the main thing is that like this guy has flying this is you know quad white for a five five flyer already ridiculous card right four mana you're expecting like um there's blessed few like you usually have to get to five five you have to get the extra uh mana you got to get to five mana but the fact that this has flying means that nobody's going to block it. And that means you don't get any of the fun stuff in that when you're talking about why it's not as good as Obliterator. Exactly. One of the th- points that was made in the Discord uh, by Brian was uh, that if it had Vigilance, it would actually be better. Because, oh, it'd be broken. Because then it would be able to sit back on both offense and defense. And they got to de- they got to figure out how to deal with it. Just uh, make everybody cry. So I, I, I rate this card as medium. In standard, I don't know. I, I, I have to take a harder look at the decks and, and see how this fits into the into the big picture there. But I think it's going to be a popular card. It's the kind of card that people will like. So it'll probably sell pretty well. And there aren't a lot of jank mythics in this set. This is has a higher strong mythic count than almost anything we've seen. Looking at the other Domini, we have the green one, which... During at doubles. the start, of, yeah, doubles the power yeah. and toughness of all your creatures at the start of each combat, which is what unnatural growth on a stick. Mm-hmm. Now it is seven mana. Like, let's be clear. Although in green decks, that really means turn five. I mean, I, I understand that we are working with, uh, you know, the the rampy color. Also worth noting that uh, this do- the green dominus and a couple of the other ones, they're activate for an indestructible counter. This one you can pay with straight life. So uh, if you play it down when you've got your seven mana, you don't need to worry about the fact that you don't have any extra mana to activate it. Do note it specifically says at the start of each combat, double the power and toughness. Is it supposed to be until the end of combat or is this a translation error? Yeah, it's until end of combat, I think. Until, until, no. No, it's end uh, of turn. It's because it says hasta el final del turno. So that's a mistranslation. Yeah. Till okay. Doubles that start of combat, but until end of turn. Gotcha. Gotcha. So this one and the black one, uh, they can activate, you know, if you're willing to sacrifice two creatures and pay for life, you put the indestructible counter on and you're feeling pretty good. Uh, the black one uh, requires you to exile three creatures from your graveyard for double Phyrexian black, and you get the, um, double the indestructible death counter. Yeah, I can't wait to put that in uh, my Ayara deck. That's going to be or awesome. Tesa. Yeah, the, the, I see Drivnod, Dominus of the Massacre, being very popular in black decks. It's also an 8-3, <laughs> which is, if it's yeah. indestructible, is not a trivial threat. You know, at, at 3 toughness, it does die pretty easily to the you know Meat Hook Massacres and uh, what's the Sacrifice Life to deal minus X, minus X card? Toxic, Toxic Deluge. Deluge, yeah. So there is that. The Red Dominus, also pretty cool. It's a... Two red red for a five four, so just strong in general. And then if a source you control would deal non-combat damage to an opponent or a permanent and opponent controls, it deals double that double that damage to that player or permanent instead. Buddy, we're gonna lose to this in draft so many times when they get four or so five. So many times. When they get four or five burn spells in this thing, and they can just kill your six sixes and seven sevens in green with a three three with a lightning bolt spell. Yep. It's gonna be good and we're gonna be sad because for I mean that's a steep cost on the um, the activating the indestructible counter because you do have to have one more mana and you have to chuck two cards and pay four life. Like that is that is a steep price to give your guy indestructible. But you know when you're doubling up on so many things, you, you really might be able to make it work. Well, the nice thing, and I mean, in I think in limited, you're not going to see it turned indestructible all that often. Uh, a lot of the times it's just, just going to be played as a straight 5-4 and it's going to trade with something. But in Commander, you can probably hold up the... Th- you're not ever going to indestructible it until somebody tries to target it. So it's just, you're just going to have this like rattlesnakey effect where no one wants to throw a point removal spell at it because unless it's an exile effect, they're not sure it's going to work. Mm-hmm. And it's not it's an ability, so they can't counter it or anything. like they Unless they're running Trick Bind or some nonsense. So, yeah, I mean, these, all these, the Domini have very broad applications in EDH. And I would expect that they are going to perform pretty similarly, I would imagine, to the mythic lands out of Zendikar Rising. And if you believe that there's any kind of 
down with, with I guess with a caveat that if you believe there's any kind of downturn in the magic market right now, uh, then Phyrexia all will be one might undersell something like a popular fall set like Zendikar Rising, in which case these myth these the Domini will perform very well indeed. And I think we're probably agreed that they're likely to outperform the mythic planeswalkers that they've shown off, which are all cool, but aren't likely to have the same level of impact. I'd agree with that. Um, the The planeswalkers are good, um, but the planeswalkers always have to be costed to uh, not affect standard too much. Whereas with uh, rare with mythics like this, and they know that their target audience is the uh, commander player. Uh, they can just go wild with this. Like there, there aren't going to be many standard decks that care about uh, Drivnod's ability, or uh, you can print as many seven mana cards as you want, and they almost never affect standard. Like for seven mana in standard, you can also play the Tyranax Rex. You sure. know, can't be countered. Eight eight trample ward four haste toxic four, just bleh. Yep. Trample in the on that card is. Uh, ridiculously amazing I, I love toxic as a as a design it's very clever uh i did want to call out that there's the red dragon that aspiring spike was talking about that i think we touched on briefly last week but i don't think we gave it enough credit uh capricious hellraiser is a three triple red for a four four flyer but it's cost three less to cast if you have nine or more cards in your graveyard and when it comes into play you don't have to exile all the cards like you do with a Merktide. You uh, exile three cards at random, and then you choose a non-creature, non-land card from among them and copy it. And you can cast the copy without paying its mana cost. So non-creature, non-land means you could get a Planeswalker that way, you could get a Lightning Bolt that way, you could get some big crazy spell. And it, yeah, it's random, but it's pretty rare that you're going to hit three lands, was his point. And he also seems to feel that given people are casting Merktides on the regular hellraiser could probably be cast pretty easily in the format especially if people want to get real silly and start casting things like breaking and entering and putting eight cards in the yard just to fuel this i am going to wait on this one i you know i love me a dragon and i think that this one is capable of doing some impress this is going to have some impressive turns but it is designed to be as inconsistent as possible. So, like, if you're, if you've only got the three cards in the yard, you're going to pay full price on the six mana, and yes, you might, you're going to get some of that mana back on whatever it is that you cast. But if you're having to like carefully curate what's in your graveyard, you know that's that's problem one. And if you're just doing trying to do something crazy like. Uh, use shock lands and tri lands to glimpse the unspeakable yourself mill 10 so that turn three you can drop a third red source and then play this getting something random out there uh that's going to feel more like a meme than a, a real deck still a good card but i i don't know that because it's so inconsistent i don't know that it's going to see a lot of play the card it reminds me the most of is Ox of Agonis out of Theros Beyond Death, which came out of the gates uh, pretty expensive and dropped all the way. I think it was pre-ordering at like $20, and then it was yeah. by August of that year, it got down to 2 to two fifty. I was going to say under under $2. But then by August of the next year, it was up to 7 and then has trailed down since because yeah. it had a moment, I think, in, in modern uh, Agonis is a 4-2 for 5, and when it enters the battlefield, you discard your whole hand and draw 3 cards, uh, and it escapes by ex paying 2 red and exiling 8 other cards. So typically, it's played in decks that can discard it into the yard along with other things, and then fill the hand back up and bring it out as a 5-3. Um, I could see it being the same kind of thing. If it catches fire in Standard and Pioneer early, then it'll be a pricey card. Could be something like an Awake in the Woods, which has been going up since I called it. Uh, which is bucking the usual trends for standard. Uh, but if it doesn't see play in those formats and it's a commander-only thing, then it's probably going to get very, very cheap. Could easily be a bulk. I, I, I think it's going to be close to bulk. It's going to do something spectacular on somebody's stream, and it will just jump up in price as everybody goes nuts, and then it will fall almost all the way back down. Sure. I, that's That's what I see happening on this. 
Yeah, I can buy that it can go either way, and it, it's going to be somebody smarter than us that figures out which direction it's headed. Yeah. Anything else jump out at you? Um, There's just been so much to keep up with. Uh, have you gone through uh, most of the rares already? Oh, I know one that I wanted to talk about. Argentum Masticor. Five for a five-five. First strike protection from multicolored. At the beginning of your upkeep, sacrifice it unless you discard a card. The classic Masticor ability... When you discard a card this way, though, destroy target non-land permanent and opponent controls with mana value less than or equal to the mana value of the discarded card. This looks like a mid-range or control card for standard and or pioneer that might actually be good. I agree with you on that. That seems uh, like an easy, like whatever you're chucking, you get to, to kill with, and it's a fun way to fill your yard for whatever shenanigans you're planning on doing. Because the original Masticore dominated standard on the basis of discarding cards to no value, just to keep it into play. But it had a machine gun effect where for two mana you could deal one damage. So you had to pump mana into it every turn to trade off. But in this case, you're just you have to be trading basically at even or down, right, on the on the card that you discard. Uh destroy right. target mana less than or equal to. Yeah. So you're always trading even or down, which seems very reasonable. Where you could, you know, trade a a three three for three or something uh, to get rid of some combo piece on their side or the card that's protecting their key card, so you can hit it with something else. I wouldn't be surprised if this was a mythic instead of a rare. I would be suspect of it as a potential um, spec for standard slash pioneer as a rare. Mm-hmm seems like it'll probably be kept in check for the most part i don't think it's the ledger shredder or fable of this set because it's a five it's a five drop not a three or a four drop which might you know be more likely to be end up busted and it also just feels like something that could end up way out on the fringes i can uh i can see that for the for a rare to be good it's got to be like you know busted amazing good and we haven't seen a lot of that yet um i did uh, i'm i'm sorry did you want to keep talking about this particular card because i did no, think no, of the go one ahead. that move on um canker bloom i think might be the uncommon that goes the furthest if you can get like get them from people super cheap especially like opening weekend uh so it's one in a green for an uncommon it's a phyrexian fungus one and sack it to uh destroy target artifact destroy target enchantment or proliferate like that's the the best rate we've gotten on this ability uh yet and on the like the best creature. So, um I'm going to be keeping an eye on this particular one and to see if it ends up as if it's got a a promo frame then there's no point trying to make money off of it. But uh this one and Tamio's logbook are the uncommons I'm going to be watching closely. Uh the logbook um is Two and a blue for an artifact. It says five tap draw a card, but this ability costs one less to activate for each other artifact you control. So uh, with four artifacts, it's now one tap draw. And considering the amount of shenanigans commander players run that will untap artifacts, there's going to be some uh, combo-rific goodness going on here, I think. Another rare that's caught my eye as something that will probably get very cheap and then could be a gainer over time is Mind Splice Apparatus. Three and a blue for an artifact with flash. At the beginning of your upkeep, put an oil counter on Mind Splice Apparatus. Instant and sorcery spells you cast cost one less to cast for each oil counter on Mind Splice. So in proliferation decks or decks that can add counters to artifacts fairly easily, if you also happen to be instant and sorcery, driven so proliferate deck that doesn't have an art strong more than a strong artifact sub theme would be my guess in edh this thing could start making your instance and sorceries cost three or four or five less and things could get out of control mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. uh dude like maybe have... like maybe your your commander is mizix of the ismagus which is already <laughs> giving you experience counters that make instants and sorceries cost less and then you're running a bunch of proliferate spells and this is mind splice is one of the ways that you start casting you know massive things instead of for 10 you're casting them for four i love it uh, i'm always a big fan of things that do stuff like that um did you have a chance to talk about the new ratchet bomb uh i think we covered it last week that's the filigree okay. silex 
The filigree silex, yes. Yeah. Looks good. Okay. Like, good, not amazing, and it doesn't seem like the kind of thing that's going to end up a spec. Um, I'm looking forward to people who build the uh, Vron Executioner Thane deck, the uh, one in a black Phyrexian Vampire for 2-2. Whenever one or more other creatures you control die, each opponent loses two and you gain two, but only do this once each each turn. Like, that's going to cause some fights at some tables, and it's going to be really impressive. I'm going to enjoy watching that. Okay. Uh, we got a strictly better regrowth. Unnatural restoration, one in a green, return target permanent card from your graveyard to your hand, proliferate. I guess it's not a strictly better regrowth, because regrowth can, regrowth can bring anything back. This only brings permanence. Right. Like it's it's important that regrowth no longer gives you spells back. They 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 felt that that's way too good. Sure. There was none others that jumped out at me. Like I believe we've gotten for all the we might have one or two mythics left to go, and we'll have the full set up on Friday. Sounds about right. So we'll uh, we'll clean that all up next week. And in the meantime, where can folks find you online, Cliff? You can find me online at Word of Commander on Twitter or my articles every Friday on mtgprice.com. And you can find me on Twitter at mtgcritic as well as via my occasional articles on mtgprice.com. I would also like to remind our listeners to check out the mtgprice.com Pro Trader service for just $9.99 a month or $109.99 per year. You can get early access to this podcast, fantastic articles by the best MTG finance minds in the business, low-cost group buys, and a super active Discord forum that will drive better returns and save you money playing Magic the Gathering. Once again, MTG Fast Finance is proudly sponsored by Cool Stuff, Inc., where you can find all sorts of cool, nerdy stuff in stock, including all the best in Magic the Gathering singles, sealed product, and a plethora of other collectibles. Please use the promo code FINANCE5, that's FINANCE with the number 5, during checkout at CoolStuffInc.com to save 5% off your order and support this podcast. Oh my god, James, it's like I never left. <laughs> really is great to have you back, Cliff, and looking forward to further discussions with you in, through this winter and into the spring. As always, I have enjoyed our discussion, and we will see all of you next week on another episode of MTG Fast Finance. Fast Finance.